Blog Talk Radio. everyone. I'm so sorry. We've had major, major difficulties this evening. Major difficulties. I'm hoping that I'm actually on air because I could hear the music, but I'm not really so sure. <laughs> so I'm going to wait. I'm going to pick up one phone call. I'm going to ask this caller. I hear the music. Hello, caller. Can you hear really me? So sure. <laughs> so I'm going to wait. I'm going to pick up 8573. Can you hear me? Yes. Are you able? Yay, thank you. Okay, I'm going to put you back into the queue. Thank you for answering my question. All right, so here's what's going to happen. We're waiting for the author to call back in now, and I believe this is her right here. So let me take this call. Hi, are you there? Hi, Susan. Yes, is this T? It is T. I am so sorry. We are on air, finally. I am so very sorry. Uh you know, sometimes we have major glitches, and I really don't know what it is. I know the weather here has been volatile this week, but I don't. Uh-huh. I'm not, I can't. I'm not sure I can blame it on that. To tell you the truth, I, I have no idea what happened. All of a sudden, everybody was gone. So okay. I'm grateful to have everyone back. So Good. welcome everyone, and thank you for tuning in. This is T Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. We're going to forget about the introduction of me and get right on to what's going on with the show because we're already 16 minutes in. So listeners, think of the things you yearn for: a happier love life to lose weight, to break free of debt, achieve greater recognition in your field. Are any of those on your list of goals? Do any of those resonate with you? Now consider this. Are you doing things to hinder your progress? Perhaps there are some impulsive, self-defeating behaviors that you may not really be aware you do that are holding you back, maybe? Well, my guest, psychotherapist Susan Anderson, is the founder of the Outer Child and Abandonment Recovery Movements. Susan has devoted the past 30 years of clinical experience and research to helping people resolve abandonment and overcome self-sabotage. She is the author of The Journey from Abandonment to Healing, which was sold over 125,000 copies, as well as Taming Your Outer Child, which was released this past February and is our topic for discussion. Without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for your patience and for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? I am being very happy to be here. (laughs) Finally, right? Yes. I'm thinking, oh, this poor woman, she's thinking I don't want her on air. (laughs) It's just crazy. Oh, my gosh. Well, like I said, let's get to it. The name of your book is Taming Your Outer Child. And I think most people are quite familiar with the phrase, your inner child. But I suspect that probably not many are familiar with your outer child. So what is our outer child? Well, whereas the inner child is all about your emotions, uh, your, you know, your needs and feelings, the inner child, the innocent part, the outer child is the part that acts them out inappropriately. So let's say you're on a date and your inner child feels insecure. That's an emotion. The outer child would act out the insecurity by being angry or needy or demanding and scare the person away. 
So to relate it to like, let's say a small child, a five-year-old, is it almost like an, an adult temper tantrum, but a little toned down? Yeah, you could say the inner child is somewhere between three or four or five, and the outer child is more like eight or nine or almost a teenager, rebellious and, you know, kind of like trying, being uh, acting out and being stubborn. Now, does, now, everyone has an outer child, but a lot of people probably don't really react that way, or do we all? <laughs> Well, we all have outer child. We all have self-sabotage. Outer child is the part of the personality that sabotages us because it takes our emotions, our feelings, and our needs, and instead of fulfilling them you know, in, in constructive ways, it acts them out inappropriately. So to give a couple of examples, outer child is the part that breaks our diet or when we've decided to clean out the garage, it decides to lay around and watch television all day. Um, outer child is the part that avoids and procrastinates and it spends too much money and runs up our credit cards when we're trying to reduce our debt. Outer child is the part that wants pleasure. It's the defense mechanisms, maybe knee-jerk reactions to things. It's the impulsive, pig-headed part of the personality. And it's not as mature as the adult part. The adult part wants to pursue a goal and the outer child part keeps procrastinating so it's the self-sabotaging part okay so the outer child is a self-sabotage and it is a fight between you know what you want to do and what you kind of allow yourself to not do because you are self-sabotaging how does a person stop that outer child from sabotaging just about everything in every aspect of your life because I imagine that once you go down this road, you can create a pattern and it can affect your relationships and your job and just life in general. Right. Pattern is the big word too because we all have patterns of self-sabotage. We all have some people overeat, some people overspend, some people do both. Some people tend to be real big procrastinators some people are too insecure to be in relationships because they keep acting too needy and too clingy. Um, so you have people who have different patterns because patterns is outer child's favorite way of acting out. To get rid of outer child, to overcome outer child, you have to be able to deal, the adult part of the personality has to be able to deal really effectively with your feelings. But we tend to have abandoned our feelings. We tend to have sort of left them behind, and, and so they they get acted out inappropriately. But the antidote is to learn how to take your feelings and recognize them and then take the proper actions to do right by ourselves, to really take better care of ourselves. So it pretty much comes down to an awareness that you're actually doing this. I, I think that's difficult for some people because when something becomes a pattern, it's almost like they don't even know they're doing it. It's just it becomes rote, correct? It becomes so rote that you can you can just act out in patterns practically all day long because you're almost unconscious. You're just sort of reacting to life. You're acting out in your usual patterns. You get up in the morning and you go to work and you talk about people behind your back and you underachieve and you have performance anxiety so you remain quiet during the meeting. Then you go home and you leaf through magazines and you overeat <laughs> a snack before dinner and you can just spend the whole day involved in patterns that kind of keep you unconscious or semi-conscious as you go through the day. 
And you're right, awareness is a big key because once you become aware that your outer child is sabotaging your life, that awareness starts to create change. And all you need to be is really aware of what your outer child is doing to sabotage you, and then you can begin to have an action plan. It, it, it almost happens automatically. The example you gave is, is to me, I would think that would be an extreme case of self-sabotage where it just, I mean, that person actually needs to go to therapy. <laughs> well, what? yes, right? we, I mean, all, no, we all do it. I might have presented that particular one with one too many outer child behaviors <laughs> in one person, but we all have a tendency to get in our own way. Uh, everyone I know has at least some avoidance. I, I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't avoid unpleasant tasks. And, you know, when they realize that avoiding the task doesn't really help and they start to turn that around, they see what a difference it makes. So, you know, it's the awareness of, oh, gee, I shouldn't be avoiding that just because it's unpleasant. I should face it head on and take care of it. Ooh, that feels much better, you know. So that awareness is definitely a very important step forward in, in helping to resolve it. And sometimes that's all it takes. And therapy or, you know, stringent me- methods aren't, aren't, uh, aren't necessary to change something. But it's really kind of like procrastination is a form as well, because if you procrastinate constantly, you know, I mean, I, I am well aware of the things that I procrastinate about. And then I say to myself, you know, I work well under pressure. <laughs> yes, right. The pressure is somewhat external because then you, you yeah. set up your life so that there's enough external pressure that now you're you're beating deadlines and you're getting things done because you've you've sort of created that. And so that pressure works. But if it's on your own, you could, well, tomorrow is always the time to do something. And then tomorrow gets postponed till tomorrow again. Procrastination is probably the number one outer child behavior. I think everyone procrastinates about something. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because you're absolutely right. When you procrastinate and then you get into a mode where you start to do one thing, you find that, okay, well, now I can tick that off my list. And you start going through your to-do list and things get done quickly and you manage to do them and you feel better because now your to-do list is pretty much non-existent. Nothing feels better than overcoming a pattern, even if it's just for one day. Um, Nothing feels Mm -hmm. better than when you finally realize, I think I've been procrastinating, I'm going to take my to-do list, which has 3,000 items on it, and I'm going to do 10 things on my list. And you go ahead and do them, and it feels so good. It creates momentum that maybe tomorrow you'll do another 10 things, and then another and another. And pretty soon you're, you're really moving forward. You might be making phone calls that are required maybe to find a better job, you know, or maybe you're, you're joining a dating service that will help you maybe find someone to, to be with. And you start taking, you might join a gym. You might do all kinds of things on that list that make a huge difference in your life. It's very true. I mean, I know the things that I'm that I set out to procrastinate about. I will say, okay, I'm not going to do this. I, you know, I know I'm going to procrastinate about it, but I'll get to it when I decide to, you know, do my procrastination list. And then when I look at it and I say, today is the day, and that's the day that the things get done. And they're always 
usually smaller things that you just don't have time for. You, you don't want to make that phone call to see if that videographer is available for whatever event you're putting on or whatever because I can do that another time. You know, I don't have that time right now. But once you start to do all those little things, you feel much better. You get it done. And I don't think people should have a procrastination list like I do. <laughs> I mean, <you> know, <laughs> it's my way of justifying that this is okay, which is stupid. <laughs> well, procrastination is a way of having immediate gratification because, the, you know, sort of the, the uh, booby prize, the, the what you get from procrastination is another another moment's rest, you know. So, yeah. you know, this is we're in July, and it took me up until this month to change over from my winter to my summer clothes. I was <laughs> snatching summer clothes, like, out of bottom drawers and in the corners of my closet. But instead of putting the, the, my wardrobe out, you know, there it was, you know, wrinkled things that I was pulling from, from in, you know, stuffed inside of drawers. And finally, I stopped procrastinating and I did it and it felt so good but all and to now have my summer clothes they're all nice and unwrinkled and hanging on hangers and every I can find it um but while I was procrastinating I was indulging the moment I was saying oh no I don't feel like it now we'll do that tomorrow mm-hmm. so I was I was giving in to immediate gratification which is to rest now work tomorrow you know, right. it might be a task other people love to do, and they wouldn't procrastinate, but that's a task I didn't love to do, I guess, and so I just put it off. But I was giving into immediate gratification, which is the key of Outer Child, because it is all about immediate gratification and not delaying gratification in order to, you know, achieve a goal. Well, I have to say, depending on what part of the country you're in, you need to cut yourself some slack for that because it hasn't exactly been like really, really summer <laughs> up until exactly. right about now. That's you know? a very good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> and outer child loves excuses too. Outer child can rationalize anything. So my outer child appreciates the excuse. <laughs> well, and here's, here's a great excuse. Uh, Gone with the wind, Scarlett O'Hara. I'll worry about that tomorrow. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was a perfect example. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. So how... How can a person that, you know, some people may know, yeah, I self-sabotage about things. I, I know when I'm doing it, and, and I laugh because I think, oh, you know, I'll worry about it tomorrow. I do take the Scarlet O'Hara approach. <laughs> but yeah. some people don't necessarily know. I'm well aware of when I'm doing stuff like that to myself. However, some people don't know. How do you make yourself aware so that you can overcome the self-sabotage? Well, yes, I think, you know, most people have some dim awareness of it uh, uh, at some level, especially if the tendency if you have a tendency to sabotage your relationships you would tend to know that you're you're dating someone you're madly in love but you become so insecure that you become unbearable to be with and you start to you know tilt the the, the you create a seesaw you're you're constantly you know pulling the other person and pushing up and down in the relationship and the person just get tired of it and so you feel, oh, I've sabotaged another relationship. I think people are dimly aware of the fact that they're sabotaging. What they don't understand is how they're doing it and how to stop it. So the awareness only goes so far, but not quite far enough to be able to fix it. I mean, the so... same is true with a diet. You know, people kind of know dimly 
that they're sabotaging their diet, that they want to lose X number of pounds and they keep getting in their own way. They kind of know that, and but they don't know why they're doing it and they don't know what the mechanism is, so they can't, they haven't figured out how to fix it. So now when I look at your book, when I was going through it, I know that it's almost a uh, book of an, exercises and what the process is i guess it's more the process so yeah so you can you know expose your older uh, outer child and there are questions that people can ask so really to go through your book uh, from the very beginning to the end a person could find figure out the process on their own because they're following what you say to, to do and the questions to ask and actually they can figure out what's going on with them Yes, they can. It's a self-help approach, um, so so it's really self-therapy. Um, it, all it does is in, it involves kind of incorporating some very easy steps into your daily life, and the book explains exactly how to do that. But the most important thing there is being goal-directed. You know, we all have goals that we haven't yet achieved, um, and if we achieve those goals, we, we develop a new goal. We're all pursuing goals, and some of us have goals we just have given up on. They're important, but we've, we're not really doing anything about them. For instance, we may have a goal to make more money, let's say, and we, we really that is a goal, and we really want that, but we're not doing one thing about it. We're staying in a dead-end job. The job is not earning any money. And we're not we're not making phone calls. We're not networking. We're not doing all these things that we thought we would be doing to do something about it. So you feel kind of stuck. And so you need all the you need more awareness and and you need to figure out what's going on. So it, the book takes you step by step through a program, easy. It's all all spelled out for you and broken down into all the parts. And you kind of follow that along. You incorporate some tools into your daily life. And, you know, things begin to change. You begin to make headway because, you know, momentum builds. As you make a little tiny change, it, it creates momentum that leads to bigger change. And pretty soon it becomes spontaneous. It, it becomes practically automatic. Yes. And I can see how that that go, uh, would work as you go through the process. I thought it was interesting the the different uh, categories of the outer child. You know, an outer child is excessive, is a drama queen, loves distraction, is uncompromising, completely devoted to itself, loves the blame game, master of disguises, but what it, demanding wants it and wants it now. But the one that really uh, intrigued me is you know it's all about surface uh, you know thinks it's my way or no way Uh, but loves the getting so they like the chase but not the actual acquisition and having and holding on and being grateful for that it's almost like there's a lack of gratitude yeah that's just about the number one um problem in relate at our child in relationships is choosing to choosing the unavailable being attracted to the unavailable and it is, it's not just that you're attracted to the unavailable, but when somebody comes along who actually is available, you lose interest as soon as they become available. And you might be the one who has this pattern, or you might meet someone who has this pattern. Let's say you, you finally meet, let's say, a guy, and you find him 
just terrific and he's wonderful to you and he's it's all about you and he's sensitive and he's kind and he brings your cat a gift every time he comes to the house and he's just as sweet as could be and you, you're not sure how you feel about him but you start to feel like you really like him and you start to get attached and as soon as you get attached he starts to lose interest and pull away and this has happened to so many people Mm-hmm. They're either the one who loses interest or the person they're with is losing interest. And it's such a prevalent pattern out there. It really is because you see people, you know, friends or whatever that you're talking to and they'll say something like, I don't know, I just, I guess I don't like him anymore. It's like, what is wrong with you? you know? <laughs> yes, what happens is a lot of people lose interest. They get bored in a relationship because they need that constant emotional challenge or they or they get bored and some they start to look to trade up bigger is better they have bigger is better syndrome and this happens a lot to people you know public figures who who are highly eligible and sought after they try to make a commitment and be in a relationship and it works for a while but then they lose interest and then they, they other people are distracting them and so they lo- they look to trade up and they're not happy about it. They want to find someone and love them forever, but they have a hard time loving someone if that person is too available. So it's a paradox that plagues the lives of ordinary people, celebrities. It is so across the board. It is rampant out there. It really is. And I think people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, this is what people refer to as they have commitment issues. Yes. Yes, and and commitment issues, you know, if, if you're being victimized because the person you love has commitment issues, it creates, a, you know, lots of anger because you're the, just as you're getting close, they start to back away and they don't want to make the relationship official and move to the next level. But the person who has the commitment issues is also unhappy because they would love to be able to fall in love, you know, and and settle down and build a life, but they keep losing interest and getting scared. So it hurts people on both sides of the relationship. It's really sad because people could be so much happier if they just were happy with what what they have and see that it's to the benefit of them and each person has much to offer to the relationship. Yes. Well, you know, this this is a, such a common pattern. It's an outer child pattern that I call a bandaholism this tendency to be attracted to the unavailable, um, it is very hard to break the pattern, but with enough awareness you can do it. You can actually begin to change those patterns. But it's hard for people, isn't it? I mean, why is it so difficult to break the pattern? Is it because it's hard? Is it because they don't want to admit it? Well, you know, um, it's hard to break the pattern because it's part of the biochemistry of the brain. It's you know, when you become attracted to someone it, and, and, the, and you feel a little bit insecure and you're pursuing them, there's a whole biochemistry to that. There's a whole, you know, it's stress hormones and, you know, all kinds of hormones get involved. And we become addicted to those hormones so that when the person then becomes, the person that we're pursuing becomes available, it cha- you know, the, the, you lose those drugs. You're no longer pumping up the adrenaline and all the other chemicals. And so you start to lose interest because the, the biochemistry changes. So it isn't, it, it's deep. You know, it goes right into the biophysiology of the person because you're so used to, 
to pursuing the unavailable that you only think you're in love when you're in that sort of insecure pursuing state. You've lost the ability to recognize what love is because when you're actually feeling secure enough to have love, you don't know that's love because you think love is insecurity. It's a, it's not you making the mistake, sort of. It's your brain kind of doing it. Um, and so when you begin to recognize that that's going on and how deep it is, you know, how how entrenched the pattern is. It's not just something superficial. You can't just snap your fingers and say, get rid of it. Um, when you start to look at that and realize that it's entrenched, you say, okay, I'm willing to do a program uh, that really has, you know, steps that you that you do, you know, systematically and you, you work it into your day. You're willing to do it because you really do recognize that it's going to take a little work and you're willing to overcome it by taking the proper steps. The good news is the steps are easy to do and it's just it just takes doing them and you can you can actually work your way around this pattern. When this pattern that people have when we're speaking about relationships, uh it's almost like it's an addiction. It is. It's it's either an addiction or it's like an addiction. I mean, you, you could actually make a pretty good argument from a biophysiological uh pr- point of view that it is an addiction because you know of the biochemicals involved in in the body. Right. Um so but but it, it it if it if we don't want to argue scientifically we could say that it is certainly like an addiction because it's got to have it got to have it it's the it's the craving and then the satisfaction of the craving and then the tolerance and the need to make it bigger and better for the next time so all of the dynamics that work in addiction are at play in in these relationships now that's this is self sabotage as it refers to or relates to relationships. But what about other areas of life? Like uh, I had someone ask me today, actually, why do I self sabotage my? Why do I self sabotage? I wonder what it is that I'm doing because I've been falling a lot in the past few years. Big falls, you know, not just like tripping, but falling down, and not due to anything physically wrong with the person, but they're feeling like maybe they're falling down and it could be a form of self-sabotage. Are things like that considered self-sabotage? If somebody has, can really rule out all physical causes, and I would think that would be hard to do, <laughs> to rule them mm-hmm. out completely, but uh, it would seem that the person is not as conscious, that they're that they're spending a lot of their time walking but not being fully conscious. And, you know, we can easily become numb and you know, semi-conscious, rote, as you said before. You know, we can mm-hmm. go through the day numbed out and barely thinking and barely aware of ourselves, just sort of going through the routines. It's very easy to do, to be absent-minded, to go on a walk and not notice boulders. One time I went on a walk and in one walk I was so preoccupied I tripped over a dog and a garbage pail on the same walk and I thought, uh-oh, I don't think today yeah. is a good day to take a walk. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's very possible to, to be half aware, not fully aware, but half aware of our surroundings. So this person, yes, would be considered um, self-sabotaging because they're not living a fully conscious life. And to fix that, they would have to do things, in a, be, get into the moment, be more mindful, practice some exercises that, that 
heighten their awareness of the moment so that they could live more intensely and more aware of their surroundings so that they're actually taking a more conscious view of what they're doing and maybe they would start to also ask further physical questions am i you know about their health and start to take exquisite good care of their health and between becoming more conscious and being very self self caring they might stop falling mm. Mm. and i think other things come into play too sometimes when you're really stressed out and emotions cause an awful lot of damage uh, stress to me is the number one reason we get any disease. So when they say it's 90% of the diseases we get is caused by stress, it's really 100 in my yeah. book. But, you know, I, let's be serious. <laughs> and sometimes when you, things are happening in life, uh, if, if there's someone who's sick at home, you're taking care of someone, something's going on that is creating a lot of emotion in your life, you forget to do things. I tend to get like that if there's something highly emotional going on in my life. If there's a hospice situation, I will be doing things by rote, but then I will forget. I will forget to put the milk on the table. And I'll put the pitcher, but I won't put the milk on. And I'll be like, okay, I forgot to do that because I'm not thinking clearly. But that's really not self-sabotage. That's just because your emotions completely got in the way, correct? It is. It's it's that your emotions are causing the distraction, which is making you unconscious to other things. If something is going on in your world that it's so important, it's riveting your attention, it's only natural that you may forget an appointment here and there or leave leave the toast and, you know, forget to uh, turn the toaster oven off or something of that sort. Um, and those are times when we become careless and you know, we're, we're liable to fall down or bump into something. I mean, it's just mm. perfectly natural. I don't think that falls under self-sabotage unless what what the emotional part is if we stop taking care of ourselves. If we get mm-hmm. so caught up, for instance, in a, in a um, hospice situation and we're so caught up in taking care of someone else and we become sort of martyred to that, and we stop taking care of ourselves, okay, that becomes self-sabotage. Right. Because there yeah. are things we can, the when we get on an airplane, we have to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first before we help the person in the seat next to us, as, as we're always taught. Um, and that's how to live life. So that that self-care and doing it very consciously and with great self-love is a very important component of being, you know, the the reaching your potential as an adult. Yes. And, you know, it happens a lot in hospice situations. The family that's surrounding the, I work a lot in hospice, and the family that's uh, surrounding the, the person who is actually in hospice, the patient, they don't take care of themselves. And the first thing I tell them is you've got to take care of you in order to take care of them because yes. if you can't take care of you, you're no good to anyone. You know, yeah. you have to take care. And I use that oxygen mask example with them a lot. Uh, yeah. It's it's difficult, but yeah, it can get to be self-sabotage. What about work situations? I mean, you have a good job. You are making a lot of money. You went to school for whatever it is. You got the perfect job. And now something goes on and people will self-sabotage at work. What is that all about? Well, you know, work is like a, pl- a stage. It's like a platform. You can you can enact your family drama on the workplace. Everyone does it to some extent, especially if there there are a group of people because it replicates having a mommy, a daddy, and a bunch of brothers and sisters because you got coworkers and a boss and all of that. 
and there's an unconscious need to transfer your your early conflict of life onto this stage of work so you wind up this is that sounds very fancy but the way it manifests in reality in everyday life is you wind up getting your feelings hurt you start feeling that people aren't listening to you or you feel the need to compete with someone you feel somebody else is getting more recognition and they don't deserve it so many little petty concerns and because what's happened is that unwittingly you've transferred your family conflict into the workplace but you're not the only one doing it so that was your family conflict, but the guy next to you is doing it. His family conflict was to, to be a bully, let's say. And the guy and the woman across the way, her family conflict was she was an only child and wanted all of the attention and so on and so forth. Everybody is enacting in the workplace what their themes are. And so there is a lot of self-sabotage going on as people clash, and this drains the energy away from the goals of getting ahead, of doing a good job, of maybe advancing yourself in your position, you get bogged down in all of these these um, these early conflict areas. Sure, and then that, and everybody, it's a ripple effect upon each other. So all this energy is going around, everybody's being affected by it, and then everybody gets depressed. And now you've got major depression going on, and nobody's doing anything because they're caught in that vicious loop cycle and doing the same thing and not getting anywhere because nobody's, you know, it's like being on that gerbil wheel. And everybody's yeah. just, yeah, it's 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 a horrible, and horrible mess. And everybody's on a different gerbil wheel, and everybody's grabbing for the brass ring or the nugget, you know, the the M M&M and M or whatever it is. And everybody's grabbing for it, trying a different approach, and people clash. So that there's a lot of reverberation in the workplace. It's a place mm. that you can have your feelings hurt. You can feel slighted. You can feel. Um, you know, you can feel on top of the world one minute and then knocked all the way down the next. You can, you can start to feel arrogant and sort of take things for granted and get too big for your britches. There are so many ways that you can sort of get a little off kilter at work. Mm. Yeah, and and trying and getting yourself back on track can be difficult, but once you do it. If you can stay on track in all of that turmoil that's going around you, you know, you'll be much better off for it because you see that some people do, the most successful people do. They're the ones you that know, are staying on track. And it feels so good to get back on track because mm-hmm. it's almost like magic. You, can, you start to recognize, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm making unnecessary conflict. I'm making a mountain out of a molehill or I'm creating a conflict or whatever it is. You suddenly see that you have a choice, you can extricate yourself from this role that you've begun to play. And it feels so good to get up the next day, go into work, and do your job and act on your own behalf. So you're doing your job on behalf of the team or the company or whatever, and then you're also doing the job in, in terms of what is good for your own advancement and you're back on track, and you, you're bypassing all that whole obstacle field of all those petty conflicts, and you're just back on track. It feels marvelous, and it doesn't take that great an effort. And if it does, oh, there are steps to follow, an easy program that will help you get back on track. Yes, and all, the, all those steps are in your book, and the one that probably is the most critical is as you go through the process, you actually get to a point where it's like, okay, now maintaining it. 
how do you maintain this? How do you continue through so that you can, uh, you know, uh, one of the examples was, I think her name was, there was a woman named Sarah who was struggling with her diet. And she had to learn to maintain how to do that. And the thing that she said that got to me uh, the most was that she ended up losing all the weight. It took her a year to do it. And she ended up using all, losing all the weight. But that's when she started noticing that as as she changed and everything was going along, everything else in her life was changing as well. And that is so true. Once yeah. you start to see movement, positive movement in one area, it will ripple through every area of your life. And so many people, it, when I have clients come in and we talk about this, I'll say to them, look, it's just a ripple effect. If You can't change anyone. But if you change and meet your goals, the people around you will indeed change. You know, it's amazing what one small change can do. It changes mm-hmm. your, you, it, cha- it creates momentum, it leads to other changes. For instance, let's say you have a tendency to be very codependent or people pleaser, let's say. And you're a people pleaser and you're way too overboard and you're always giving people stuff and they don't give it back and you're always sort of making yourself a doormat and you're a people pleaser and you want to change that. The amazing thing is you don't have to change it dramatically. You don't have to go from being a people pleaser to, you know, some cold person who doesn't do anything for other people. You can just be a little bit less of a people pleaser, a little bit less, let's say, of a doormat, um, and, you know, stick up for yourself a little bit more, just a little bit. And that change can be the change that makes the difference, that makes the difference that suddenly gets you into new situations, new friends, new, new, new role or image at work, and because it doesn't take a lot of change. You know, we have very subtle changes that make such a big difference, and then that ripple effect starts moving. And the next thing you know, you're feeling better about yourself, and when you feel better about yourself, then you're joining the gym, and then you're also joining... Uh, an acting class after work and now you're in a play and you you know things just start to open up and you start to touch other lives and inspire other people and it create the ripple effect is it's almost impossible to even see where all those ripples go because they're they move out in so many different directions just from making a small change yeah it's absolutely true i think one of the a sentence, it wasn't even a complete sentence in your book that wrapped it all up for me. I thought this is exactly what taming your outer child is. You wrote, taming your outer child means building a better relationship with yourself. That's completely what this is all about. If you can build a better relationship with yourself, you won't be self-sabotaging. You won't be doing all these things to yourself. You won't be feeling the way that you feel. And that one sentence and it wasn't even the whole sentence, it was a portion of a sentence, <laughs> that those words really, to me, summed it all up. Do you agree with that? I mean, you wrote it, you Yes, must. <laughs> because the, the relationship that you have with yourself is the foundation upon which all other relationships are built and everything else that goes on in your life. It's all based on that. And when you start to work on that relationship and improve it and put more love into it and more caring, Oh, the changes that occur. And there's small changes at first, and they begin to build momentum. So listeners, you know, this book, Taming Your Outer Child, Overcoming Self-Sabotage and Healing from Abandonment, you can learn more. Susan Anderson is the author. She's been speaking with us tonight about this and provided a plethora of information for everyone. To learn more, please visit her website, www.outerchild.net. 
Susan, we're almost at the top of the hour, of course, because we started late. (laughs) But before we go, please tell our listeners how they can, you know, learn more about you and and where they can purchase your book. Okay. um, The book is for sale in any bookstore and online and on my website, uh, outerchild.net, or they could go to abandonment.net because abandonment is the root cause of of all the self-sabotage. Outer child gets its, you know, dander up from abandonment issues. So, you can go to abandonment.net and learn about abandonment recovery, or you can go to outerchild.net, and the books are everywhere you look. They're all throughout the websites. And uh, the websites also tell you all the workshops that I'm running all around on different coasts in the country, and uh, you can attend one of those and be in a group where you really get inspired by other people. I have to say this book is really terrific because it does take you through a process. As you said, it's almost like self-therapy. It would really start someone on their way to learning more about themselves and becoming a better a better or a less self-sabotaging person all the way around every aspect of their life. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool that you can all use if this is something that you feel will help you. And it probably will help just about everybody on the planet. So go get the book, Taming Your Outer Child. Susan, again, thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. It was great having you on. If you wouldn't mind staying on the line for a couple of minutes, I'll put you in the green room after I finish the outro just to talk to you for a second. Is that okay? Okay, that's great, T. Thank you very much. Thank you. So listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live in the life we are meant to live, productively, healthfully, and purposefully. This is where you find the tools to do so. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, visit my website, quantumwellness.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a roof over my head. I got a warm place to sleep. So that's all I When I remember how
I don't want to lie 